0: Hey everybody, welcome to Tara and Andrew versus the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. I'm Tara. I'm Andrew. This is part 55 in our 3,726 part series we're in. We choose a movie completely at random from the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. Watch it, do a little research, and tell you what we thought and learned.
1: So there is one cardinal rule which we must abide by, and that is that the movie that we select we are obligated to watch unless it's something that we've seen already. There's a couple of exceptions which we will invoke the rules for as needed, but that's the gist of it. Let me fetch the the book because it is Tara's turn to pick. So uh, I will begin flipping through the book at random and when Tara tells me to stop, I will stop and she will pick a movie randomly from the page. Stop! okay all right so okay we are watching a movie called enigma from 2002
0: oh no That already (laughs) sounds not
1: good (laughs) it's a foreign british drama two hours just about the guide says this is a mix of conspiracy thriller and real life code breaking puzzle Michael Apted's World War II drama is a smartly directed picture that demands a little more of the viewer than most. Doug Ray Scott is a math genius and codebreaking legend, recovering from a nervous breakdown and returning to work at Bletchley Park, codebreaking central for Britain's war effort. When the willowy blonde who threw him over, Saffron Burroughs, disappears, he uncovers a conspiracy with the help of her dowdy roommate, Kate Winslet, dowdy. <laughs> well, well, Ouch. Ooh.
0: Harsh.
1: Uh, While sinister agent Jeremy Northam, who puts real menace in his scheming smile, is hot on his trail. Directed by Tom Stoppard from the novel by Robert Harris, it's a slow-moving but intriguing premise. (laughs) Slow-moving. And the conspiracy actually gets in the way of the real history. Cracking the Enigma Code. Now that's a story worth making a film about. Is that what it says? It does. Oh my god! Hey, uh, John Barry provides a lovely score with an ominous undercurrent. All right, so yeah, we
0: ooh, <sighs> it's boy. I have to say, when it it already comes right out the gate and calls this movie slow going. Yeah, that's that's. That's troubling, uh, yeah. definitely troubling because we've come across our fair share of
1: movies that yeah. have not been called for yeah, Right. So right. <laughs> They're like, this brisk thriller is like, oh, God. Oh, <laughs> no. I've no.
0: lost seven lifetimes watching
1: this. Right. So, yeah. Th- it's from 2002. <laughs> so that's a strike against that's it. That's a
0: strike against it for sure. Too uh, contemporaneous.
1: Too contemporaneous. See our previous episode for yep. our discussion on why that tends to be a problem. Yep. Uh, and then, yeah, slow moving. Yeah. I
0: mean, I recognize names which you think not like in a a way that makes me shudder. So you yeah. would think like okay, well maybe that's on the plus side and just like okay, cool, code breaking. That would be an interesting topic. However, we watched Wind Talkers. And that was not a good movie, it except was... for uh, Christian Slater and his yogurt. The decapitation and, and him like wanting to I become mean, a
1: businessman making yogurt. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing that the guide would not mention if it were in this movie. If Christian Slater just pops up <laughs> in this movie and he's still try to follow his yogurt-making dreams. Despite being decapitated in the other.
0: Okay. New universal law. Any movie set in World War Two. That involves breaking a code. <laughs> must include Christian Slater as a character who wants to become a yogurt magnet. Yeah,
1: that's not too much to ask. I'm, I'm on board with that. Uh, right? Yeah, so we've got a bad precedent with these movies that's been set. The, the guy, <laughs> the guy calls it slow moving is, is worrisome.
0: I guess we kind of already did calibration there.
1: Yeah, we took care of the calibration automatically, <laughs> so...
0: I suppose we'll be back with our (laughs) thoughts and and opinions after this brief musical interlude and two hours of our lives lost to Enigma. We're back. We're back. Like an enigma. Enigma. Uh
1: huh. We watched it. Let's just let's get into our rating. Um, yeah, let's just go right into it. Rating of it.
0: So as always, our scale ranges in order from worst to best. Don't watch. Maybe don't watch. Eh. Maybe watch. And don't not watch. So do you have a rating selected for Enigma?
1: I I do. Have you? Got- I have. Okay. So, on the count of three. One, One. two, three.
0: Maybe Ah, don't watch. That's fair. Yeah.
1: Uh, I will say that what I have not told you is that I watched it again this morning.
0: Oh, you what?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, I watched it for a second time. Yes. And I guess this... uh, kind of ties into my my opinion of it as well. So, like, when, when we first started watching the movie, we watched about a half hour of it, mm-hmm. and then we had to take a break because our friend Karen wanted to come visit our Animal Crossing island. And so we're like, okay, we'll get back to the movie. That's fine. And then when we did get back to it, we were both pretty tired. And I can only speak for myself that uh, my hope was that the movie would put me to sleep. <laughs> it would be like, I mean, I, just, I should pay attention to this, but if I fall asleep, uh-huh. it's fine. Yeah, yeah. And it didn't put me to sleep.
0: Right, that's true. And
1: then I woke up this morning at 5 o'clock because of our cats, and I was like, I cannot get back to sleep on my own, and I feel like maybe I wasn't giving the movie my full attention or I didn't totally understand what was happening and some stuff, so I'll watch it again. And I I watched it on, like, 1.5 speed to get through it more quickly. The intention was that maybe it would put me to sleep then as well. Like, maybe this time I'll be able to fall asleep in this movie. Uh, And it it didn't put me to sleep that time either. So that's my high praise for it. I see. Put it on the poster. Did not put me to sleep.
0: (laughs) After two attempts. (laughs) Two attempts. Could not put Andrew to sleep. Did
1: not fall asleep. That's high high praise.
0: You know, for me, things that really knocked it down are... uh, God, it's really... unrealistic depictions of love mm-hmm. and how quickly it happens and then the idea of needing to spend a month in a quote mental institution and how you come out of that like looking all haggard and so the idea of how they treat well,
1: before like, we, let's let's just get into okay, it okay into plot. Yeah. yeah
0: Nygma starts on a train we meet a man named Tom Jericho who looks a little bedraggled he's uh kind of pale and uh got that sort of sweaty clammy look to him and His hair is a little disheveled, and he's on a train heading out to Bletchley. So Bletchley is this big park. It's in the middle of World War II, and it's where the British intelligence has collected a large group of people to work on code-breaking and deciphering messages that Germans are sending out um, so they can get intelligence and try to, obviously, stop the Nazis. So Tom Jericho arrives, and we find that he... Was the big shot code cracker, but had to go away for a month, and uh, people are kind of questioning, "What are you doing back?" And he's kind of been brought back for for his face, essentially. But uh, what the real task is, there's this convoy of allied ships that are sailing from North America to Europe with a whole bunch of goods, food stuff, supplies, just various supplies. Yeah, a lot of it American, and. Unbeknownst to them, they are heading potentially right into a whole pack of German U-boats. So we find out that the folks working at Bletchley Park have no idea where the U-boats are because somehow the Germans caught wind that the British had uh, cracked their Enigma code. And so they changed over to this shark code. And the British were no longer getting the intel um, on where what was going down, basically. So they... They're trying to decipher this shark code in time. They only have like a couple days before the convoy hits the general area where they believe the U-boats to be. But without knowing the specific locations, essentially those ships are fucked. So uh, Tom and these other guys are tasked with trying to decipher this shark code, which makes it sound like it's impossible.
1: And it is pretty much impossible. Yeah. they've There's something like... 4 trillion possibilities that the transmissions could be encoded with or something like that. Yeah,
0: like this ridiculously high number of combinations that they would have to work through in order to crack it, like, unless they got phenomenally lucky. They're kind of fucked, essentially. Yeah. And um, the Brits are really sweating it because they don't want to piss off the Americans who are their allies in the war and... So they've got this group of Americans who are there to sort of figure out what the hell's going on, and they're pretty pissed off when they hear Tom Jericho say it's going to be uh, pretty much impossible for them to crack the shark code in time. So we find out um, a little bit of Tom's backstory. He had spent a month, quote, in a mental institution, end quote, um, after a... Romantic tryst with this woman named Claire Romilly that ended up in heartbreak so bad that it puts you into an asylum. Yeah. Cool. Cool. That's definitely how mental illness works. So Tom, having returned after a month, is kind of interested in finding out what the hell Claire's up to these days. So he runs into Claire's roommate, a woman named Hester Wallace, played by Kate Winslet. And, uh... (laughs) Getting into some of my issues with this movie here, but not only, like, mental illness piece, the love piece, but then, like, oh, yeah, look at this woman. She's got a pair of glasses on, and we put her in loose-fitting clothes, and she doesn't have bright blonde hair, so she's dowdy.
1: Glasses automatically bumps you up on the dowdiness scale by, like, a factor of 50. Oh, yeah. Po- 50 points to dowdiness.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Hester informs Tom that Claire has been gone for the last couple of nights, and he's a little suspicious. So he shows up at their house, finds the hidden key that they have outside, and lets himself in. And he starts uh, rummaging around Claire's room as you do. And he do. Do you? Obviously, like when I break up with people, I definitely go back to their homes. I break in and I just start going through their stuff.
1: That's reasonable. It's You're right. Sorry. Reasonable. Challenge retracted.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So as he's like going through stuff, he finds that Claire had hidden some undeciphered German transmissions in her floorboards. And uh, right at this moment, Hester shows up and is like, what the fuck do you think you're doing? And so Tom kind of explains, well, look at these. I found we need to figure out what the hell Claire was doing with them. Hester's like, "Okay, fine, I'll help you.
1: Kind of begrudgingly agrees to, to help him. And then it's at this point that we get into the backstory between Tom and Claire. And so this guy that works more on the espionage side of the British side of things has been snooping around trying to figure out what, what Tom's deal is. And he shows up at Tom's room and Tom starts to tell him about his relationship with Claire because Claire has disappeared and he's thinking that it's suspicious. Maybe they're in it together, they're... Getting secrets out to the germans or something like that
0: like the timing of tom returning right after claire's disappeared right and right after they stopped being able to to break the german intelligence because they yeah they changed it up knowing that the brits got a hold of the enigma code
1: right so the this, the movie flashes back to their their meeting at a like a concert in the field whatever on base and then this all takes place over the course of a month we find out but he just falls madly in love with claire and they're driving home from a a club and he's like i love you i love you
0: and she's like head thrown back shouting into the air
1: (laughs) and she's like yeah maybe you know love and more time is kind of a, a tricky tricky thing to manage so maybe dial it back a bit there And uh, they go back to his place and they have sex. And then he wakes up to find her rummaging through his personal papers. And she's like, oh, I'm gonna take this. Kind of jokingly, but she's hanging on to it pretty seriously. Uh She's not giving it up. And he is getting more and more distressed by this. And he eventually just like really forcefully pulls her away from the bed and like rips it out of her hand. And she's obviously very upset that he's been this forceful with her over something that was kind of a jokey type thing. Like, maybe if you hadn't been a weird creep about it, she would have given it back. But she's, she's shaken up by it. And then we see him later on chasing after her. Like, what can I do for you? How can Why aren't you talking to me anymore? We're not dating. Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh, poor you. We're i've moved on i've moved on and and he's like i'll tell you any secret you want to know i'm like oh boy this is this guy maybe should not be in a position of <laughs> uh, <laughs> having access to any military secrets If a breakup just reduces him to the state where he's completely willing to tell her any fucking thing
0: a breakup with somebody that he's known a
1: month right yeah it, it's not uh too believable and it's like are we supposed to be feeling for this character relating to him thinking that he's a hero or something because he's not really painted himself particularly well so far even up before now right but this especially it does not make him seem out to be like anybody that i would like necessarily
0: yeah i think for the story that, that the way that they were trying to tell it it probably would have benefited them if they had you know worked on filling out his character and and making us want to be on his side
1: yeah there really is not a ton of character development for anybody in the movie anybody like the people that all... he's working with on the code breaking team they're just like all a whole bunch of pasty white dudes mm-hmm. and one of them has a stutter and that's pretty much it that's
0: like his personality is stutter yeah
1: yeah uh so not not great character development on any
0: i think everybody front. was v- really one-dimensional
1: yeah so moving on from that he finishes telling Wigram about their relationship, and th- this dude, Wigram, is satisfied enough to leave him alone for the time being. He's like, Where would one take a pee around here? And Tom directs him to the communal restroom, and then he's. <laughs> this is also do not, do not, uh, <laughs> him it, to not not endear us. him to us. Like, we watch him watching Wigram take a pee, basically. He's, like, peering out the bedroom door at the, the bathroom as he's washing his hands. He's like, does this creep like watching men urinate? Well,
0: and to be fair, like, Wigram totally could have closed the bathroom door and didn't. Yeah. But at the yeah. same time, you probably don't expect someone to, like, be peeping at you out of their like, crack in <laughs> their right. bedroom door.
1: And then we realized that the reason that he was watching it so intently was because he'd hidden the pages that Claire had stolen like under a pile of papers in the bathroom. And so he was worried that Wigram was going to find them there and and know that something was up. But it's still like, maybe, movie, give us a clue to that so we don't just jump to the conclusion that Tom is a creep. Yeah. <laughs> Any more of a creep than you already think he is. <laughs> From there, the movie goes on to show Tom and mostly Hester engaging in a bunch of sneaky things where they're trying to figure out the meaning of this, these transmissions that Claire had stolen. And so she's asking around and surreptitiously stealing documents from file rooms and getting sexually harassed by her boss, which is like a needless addition to oh, the movie. Oh, for real. Like her boss like forces a kiss on her when she's trying to get him to go along with it. And he's like, well, well you know, one good deed begets another," type of thing. And, and it's gross. Um, uh, it's super gross. And adds really nothing to the story. And so um, all of this kind of toing and froing to get to the bottom of these documents culminates in Tom and Hester going off to this, uh, I guess, like transmission receiving site off in the countryside, something like that. And they're taking a tour of the site, and Tom sneaks off and steals some documents as they're leaving the building they start to get followed by this police car. And, you know, they're the only two cars on the road, so it's pretty obvious that the the police people want them to stop and pull over for whatever reason. But Tom floors it, and it becomes an incredibly boring car chase. Oh, yeah. No suspense. Even when they're about to crash into, like, a fuel truck, there's still no real suspense there. So they narrowly avoid this fuel truck, and then the police car is stuck behind them. Um, stopped by this truck and so it gives them time to drive off and find this abandoned barn where they can do their decoding and it's like is it that urgent that you have to go to a a barn
0: 50 meters away from where you (laughs) just like lost the cops
1: Uh, right So they hole up in this barn and they're using Tom's Enigma machine to try to figure out the meaning of the transmissions that Claire had using the documents that they had just stolen. And then we see the police car has found the barn and is slowly driving down this dirt path as they're kind of trying out the codes to figure (laughs) out what the message is. But it's also, there's like no fucking suspense there either as they're slowly hunting and pecking at the keyboard.
0: And then like relaying the letter to the other person. Kay! okay, writing a K now, very slowly. Yeah,
1: it's, it's super boring. And it's like, you know, this movie so far has turned out to be basically what a boring person thinks an exciting movie would be. Right. It's just no actual legitimate suspense to be found. So eventually the police get to the door of the barn and they bust in and Tom and Hester have started kissing to uh, pretend like they're whatever lovers having a a secret tryst in a a distant hideaway and wigram is there all, all of a sudden too and he's not buying it and so he searches their car and doesn't find anything incriminating so he's like well i've got something to show you guys you have to come with me
0: wigram takes the two of them to this little wooded area where um, Tom's having some flashbacks to his conversation with Claire, where he's like, I will tell you anything you want, You need to know. So Wigram emerges from the door to this little hidden house and is like, does, does this coat look familiar? And Hester recognizes that it was Claire's coat. And he's like, oh, and what about this piece of clothing? The insinuation being that uh, Tom killed Claire and threw her body into a nearby lake
1: so he's like well there's no body or else if there was i would take you in right now so i guess you're free to go to work
0: yeah just just go to work now but i'm on to you as soon as i find this body yeah um so hester and tom like oh well that's fucked (laughs) yeah and they they decide well we don't we might know where claire is but uh let's just continue working to decipher these papers that she stole anyway so Tom goes into work and he realizes that they, they might be able to, um, decipher the transmissions from Germany based on some of the coordinates that the Germans are, are relaying to each other about the convoys. So the guys are like intercepting these transmissions of coordinates to use that in order to decipher Shark. And as they get more and more of these transmissions, they're able to finally get to a point where they can crack the code. So they start Really furiously Figuring it out And it's a little bit too late The U-boats have reached One of the convoy vessels And started attacking it And a and it ship, go <laughs> ship goes Blow, blow Bye-bye
1: Turn them one more time
0: The ship goes Blow, blow Bye-bye what
1: uh, no. <laughs> all right we'll keep it in
0: <laughs> no we don't have to keep that in
1: <laughs> Tara Johnson 2020 no! <laughs> put it on the poster <laughs>
0: <laughs> on the movie poster yep. it's just like yep. Tom Jericho looking
1: for the re-release of this movie that's going to be coming out
0: looking like a little concerned Hester pushing up her glasses, <laughs> and then just the quote ship goes blow, blow, bye, bye.
1: <laughs> Enigma. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I mean it would draw me in. I gotta it. <laughs> uh, eh.
0: Anyway, so one of the ships is is um is torpedoed by a U boat, and they're all they're all basically like fucked because of how long it took for them to figure out the code. So um. As everybody's like, well, we did our work, but oh, it was all for nothing in the end. All the pasty white boys are filing out, and sort of last in there is Tom and this guy Puck, and Puck's given this message, and just kind of like suddenly leaves, and
1: Tom's like, well, that's
0: hmm, that's kind of weird, kind of weird
1: for no real reason necessarily. No reason. Like,
0: and but this character had like hardly been in the movie before.
1: Yeah, Tom finds this suspicious that he's receiving a message.
0: Yeah. Hester, meanwhile, has been working on decoding Claire's transmissions, and then she finally realizes they had the right encryption and realized that it wasn't supposed to be spelling out like a message, they were spelling out names. Uh, 4,500 Polish troops who had been killed by the Russians in the Katyn massacre. So she and Tom figure out that Claire had taken off after figuring that out because she was afraid of being officially disappeared for having this knowledge. Hitler's going to take this and use it, and it's going to be really fucked for us.
1: Yeah, I think they specifically say the Polish people in America are not going to react well to this. Yeah, exactly. Like, this so-called ally of ours attacking
0: yeah. and killing
1: all these these Polish people.
0: And obviously, <clears throat> they, um, the allies really need America to keep being their ally through this war. So um, they want Russia to continue being their ally. So the Brits are very motivated to keep this all all hushed up. So they're like, oh shit, that's why Claire's gone. And they realize that one of the people who'd been killed in that massacre was Puck's brother. The guy who Tom was mysteriously now suspicious of. Yeah. And uh, they real, they were like, oh, well, Claire must have been working with Puck on this. And she was in love with him.
1: Yeah, so I just want to interject here. This movie is using its jump to conclusions, Matt, a lot. Oh, like, yeah. It's just conveniently they're deductions end up being true, but the evidence that they have to go off of is not particularly strong, it feels like, for some of these deductions. It's like they
0: were just trying to get the story told quickly. Yeah. But... I don't get it, because, like, the movie's so boring. Some things are so long and dragged out, but it's, like, they sort of, like, cram storytelling into these weird little conclusions yeah. instead of actually building up to something. Oh,
1: we gotta, we gotta get into this point in the story, so we need to just have them yeah. realize this yeah. all of a sudden.
0: Right, like, based off of nothing, and you're just left there as, as the audience member being like, were there, like, scenes I totally was blacked out on? <laughs> because it just doesn't make sense where, where why they would come up with, these conclusions. Right. Seemingly out of thin air.
1: Yeah. Tom, for some reason, he knows that Puck is just making a break for it. Another thing that he deduces is that, oh, well, Puck is getting out of town, clearly. And so he chases him, goes to the, the train station, and manages to get on the same train running after it and jumps on. And he's pulled into a cabin by Wigram, who is also on the train and his boss, and they just gets into this thing where wigram is revealing that he basically knows what's been going on knows the whole story pretty much except for like what happened to claire but he he knows that puck is a part of it and that she'd been going out with puck another one of these magical deductions that the tom comes to is that claire was working for you wasn't she like you you knew about how she met me by slipping her shoe under my chair at that concert <laughs> and so therefore that means that she was working for you because you knew that one one bit of information like well uh, no you may have, you you told him how you met earlier in the movie you could have possibly said that so that's not really a a solid conclusion to come to based off of just that one piece of evidence sherlock but again it ends up being the case that that is what happened she was working for wigram and basically he was having her sleep with a bunch of dudes at Bletchley Park to try to get information on them undercover, trying to ferret out if they were possibly working for the Germans or something, apparently.
0: Apparently. Because that's what you do.
1: Puck kind of is tipped off to the fact that they're going to catch him by something. Like, he sees a newspaper... Uh, that's, like, a passenger brings onto the train and he knows that something has arrived because of the newspaper.
0: Because he sees the woman, he, she set the bag up yeah. on the thing and said Bletchley paper. So he's like, oh, people from Bletchley, they're probably on me." Still, Or he, he, th- he probably thought he was going to be recognized.
1: Yeah, that could be, I guess. But, like, it's... Yeah. The, it's not clear. The, the movie is just, like, a frustrating mix of things that happen very conveniently that a lot of stuff is just not really explained at all. It's just left... Unclear. Yeah. And, yeah, so it's annoying. Anyways, Puck gets off the train, escapes. Wigram doesn't manage to catch up with them. And then Tom is looking at a picture of a hotel that's on the train as he's heading back to Bletchley or wh- wherever. And he realizes that the name of the hotel is related to the message that Puck had gotten earlier in the movie that he found suspicious. Wait a minute. That number that they said is probably the room number at this hotel. Again, pretty... I mean, <laughs> by this movie standards, that's a more reasonable conclusion yes. to jump to, but it's still a stretch. And so he goes to this hotel, and he, he steals a key and gets into the room. And somebody's in the shower, and the music is playing on the radio. And so he turns the music up, and then turns it off. And then cut to the next scene, we're not, like, sure. Yeah, he just, like, like,
0: walks out of the hotel room. We don't even know, like, if he apparently. sees
1: her at all, or talks to yeah. her. It's just like, well, he, there there was someone in a shower, and that's good enough. Like, movie, you you can't just... Uh, it's, again, one of the things that the movie leaves slightly ambiguous when it's just beating you over the head with other stuff, or just...
0: Or just, like, so unsubtle, or, <laughs> or lacking in nuance.
1: Yeah, so... So Tom gets back to Bletchley and he's found that the team has decoded a transmission from the Germans saying that there's a U-boat that's breaking away from their pack and is going off to this place off the coast of Scotland. And Tom is like, huh, that's where Claire had said that she wanted to retire to. Therefore, that means that that's where Puck is going. Not to belabor the point, but just, again, yeah, anyway... If we yeah, so he, <laughs> he he races off. He goes to Scotland and goes to this particular cabin that Claire had mentioned on his own. On his own, and he of course Puck is there because his deductions are always one hundred percent correct. And so he chases after Puck. The Puck gets onto a boat and is trying to sail off to meet up with the Germans, and they they get into a, a fist fight. And then Wigram has known about this as well, and so he's there and. As the German U-boat is surfacing, Wigram is just hamming it up. He's like, oh, delicious, a delicious meal. Dinner is ready. Dinner is, oh yeah, dinner is ready. <laughs> and, and so oh. so Puck is like getting onto the U-boat and then Wigram gives the order for a bomber to fly over and, and bomb the U-boat and kill him. The U-boat explodes and Tom goes back to shore and they end up back at the underwater quarry. That they'd found Claire's items at. And so Tom is like, well, you know, I know you really want Claire to be dead, but she's still alive. I know it. And uh, she's out there somewhere and she's like a sword hanging over your head. Why tell him that, first of all? You could have just kept your mouth shut and there would have been some uncertainty as to whether she was alive or dead. And she would have been safer if you're trying to... If you're
0: trying to protect her. Trying to protect
1: her. If,
0: If that's what he's trying to do yeah
1: it's and like what are what are his fucking motivations no idea no idea and so wigram is just like smarmy and smug and he's like well keep looking for her blah 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 and then the movie cuts to london in the spring of 1946 all of a sudden like that's just like jump cut to 1946 after the war and we see tom is there and he's waiting for somebody and then he sees claire in the crowd all of a sudden yeah and he's just like hmm Oh, this that's clear. Oh, good. Oh, all right. Watch her walk away. Yeah, yep, yeah, watch her walk away. And and then Hester shows up and they're in love and together in the end. Yeah, the she's
0: pregnant with his baby. The yeah, end. Woo Yeah. God Yeah, no. No, thank you. No,
1: it not not great. Maybe talking it out, I think I'm gonna downgrade it to uh, maybe don't watch after all. Whether or not it kept me awake,
0: two <laughs> times is <laughs> very, very faint praise. Yeah, indeed.
1: yeah. So yeah, maybe don't watch this movie.
0: Yeah, oh, it just gets so much wrong. Everything seemed very childish in a lot of ways, or you know, really immature um, in terms of their understanding and depictions of of very real and complicated things like mental illness and love and how that intertwines with like espionage and, and being in the middle of this war. And, um, yeah, you know, it's just this movie. I think the concept of it is interesting. It, it could have been a good movie. yeah
1: I mean, I think like code breaking is interesting. Yeah. And, not how it's depicted in this movie, I will say, because it's just, no. like, a bunch of dudes writing stuff down on paper. And, like, it's a, if you want to see a bunch of clerical work depicted in a movie... Like,
0: here you go. Th- here
1: you go. That it just overcomplicates some things. Like, the first time we watched it, I didn't mm-hmm. really have a good understanding of what was going on. And even after yeah. watching it a second time, I still felt like there were things that were hazy at best. Right. And I think it just has to do with all the conclusions that they're jumping to all the time. Yes. It's like... Okay, <laughs>
0: and it's based off of a, a novel, which you know maybe the book's a lot better, and I feel like the story, the way that they maybe wanted to to tell it, like they're trying to be too too literal to the novel or too true to it, and trying yeah, to fit everything in in a, a time frame that it's not suited to. Yeah, and so they're like, well, we have to take all these shortcuts in the storytelling, and then come up with this shitty product as a result.
1: It's Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I don't know
0: how much of this stuff would have been better fleshed out. Would it have been um, a more realistic?
1: (sighs) I think I I vaguely remember seeing something saying that the book was better, but I didn't look into it that closely. I mean, I
0: might have still had. I probably still would have had issues with the book. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Just with some of the thematic things, but. At least in terms of, like, telling a story and having it be interesting and exciting. And,
1: and you can delve deeper into, like, motivations for yeah. things in a book, obviously, better than you usually can in a movie um, without over-narration.
0: I don't know who who's to blame on this, but just, Well, like, I do.
1: Uh-oh. Mick Jagger.
0: That's right! That's, Mick Jagger, everybody! Yeah,
1: Mick fucking Jagger and, and Lord Michaels. And uh, Lorne b- Michaels! Were producers on this movie, and why that wasn't mentioned in the guide, I don't know, because that's fascinating oh yeah uh and so i guess mick jagger was like super super interested in the enigma code breaking machine and all, and all that and so that's what led him to try to get the rights to the book to have it produced and i guess like he and lord michaels got into a, a bidding war of sorts to have the rights and then they eventually just decided to team up to produce this
0: I wonder if this is when Mick Jagger was on SNL yeah. and had to do the songwriting with John Mulaney. It
1: could have too early for that, yeah. I think. But yeah, also I want to say Mick Jagger, if you're listening, you should have been nicer to John Mulaney. <laughs> uh, he's he's yeah. a funny man. <laughs> Not funny. <laughs> So, yeah, Mick. I mean, you should apologize. Come on, Mick. Uh, come on.
0: I mean, f- first and foremost, out of everything in your life, you have to apologize to <laughs> this John is it. Mulaney. Yeah, number and one. secondly, Enigma.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm, Forget I'm sh- anything else that me, you might have done. Yeah, I'll give you, a, give you a pass on everything else. But John Mulaney, number one. There, There's a quote that I found in an article that was in The Guardian that came out ar- around the time the movie was about to be released, I think, mm-hmm. uh, where from Mick Jagger. Where (laughs) you're saying, oh, of course I would have loved to have been all the parts. I could have done them all brilliantly. There's there's no doubt about that. But I wasn't allowed. That bloody director.
0: You know what disturbs me about that quote is how much it sounds so much like what the president of the United States of America says. Yeah. There are a lot of tones to it that are very similar to what we're seeing.
1: Right. There's just egomania. (laughs) Mick Jagger come on really you would have done a good job playing Hester
0: yeah you uh, he would have been a great Hester
1: I mean I, I do kind of want to see it though actually not <laughs> not, not 2001 Mick Jagger but if we, oh. we can get like CGI it could
0: be Jagger's enigma
1: yeah. yeah let's get this movie remade 78 year old Mick Jagger playing all the roles in enigma let's let's make this happen we'll get a yes. crowd, crowdfunding thing started up here after we finish recording this episode
0: This movie is not obviously very historically accurate in many ways. Apparently, the character of Tom Jericho was very loosely modeled on Alan Turing, who uh, famously was a gay man. Yeah. Not uh, a guy who would have lost his mind over a four week tryst with a woman. (laughs) Yeah. Um, There's no mention in the movie, of course, of contributions of Polish codebreakers, except for, you know, Putt kind of being there. Um, and the fact that Puck was Polish was actually pretty insulting because the only actual traitor that was ever found at Bletchley was a British guy named John Karen Cross. So it's also really insulting to Polish people in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think. Like that this one guy would be like, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to let all these people die just because my brother was killed by yeah. the Russians.
1: The, the one-two punch. Like, let me,
0: let me help Germany now. What the fuck?
1: Yeah, first of all, you don't acknowledge the work that the, the Polish people did with breaking these codes.
0: To be fair, a lot of British people are really shitty toward Polish people. Like... Apparently. Uh, yeah. No, I know. F- firsthand. Well,
1: yeah. Like, hearing
0: people when I was living there talking shit about Polish immigrants. Um, so yeah.
1: Yeah, that's fucked up.
0: Yeah, it's pretty fucked up.
1: Fucked up. So, um, I guess uh, just to rounded out a couple of little things tidbits of trivia that i found looking at uh, imdb I mean, we're just saving you clicks here people you don't have to go to the imdb page yourself we'll we'll,
0: <laughs> we'll condense
1: it down we'll mine it. the best bits of it for you there's a scene where tom is tapping on the desk with a pencil or pen and uh, he's apparently tapping out Claire's name in Morse code. So that's, that's kind of a neat little thing, I guess, that the, the movie makers put in there.
0: little Easter egg.
1: Yeah. Um, and then even better than that, though, is that uh, Kate Winslet's character, Hester Wallace, adjusts her spectacles 16 separate times throughout the movie, you guys. It's <laughs> a, that's some trivia right there. That's some prime <laughs> trivia. Like, who the fuck decided that they were going to post that on IMDb? <laughs> How many times... Oh, shit.
0: I think I might have missed it. I have to rewatch this oh, movie. Yeah. Just make sure I have I to validate my numbers. People
1: were going to want to know an oh, yeah. accurate number of times that she adjusts her glasses. Oh, that's yeah. That's key. Also, IMDb, when it's letting people post trivia or goofs or whatever, it also keeps track of the number of people that click on whether or not the piece of information was interesting. Five out of 12 people thought that that was interesting. Uh, like... I mean, I know the movie, like you said, is uh, kind of catered to, to boring people, so yes maybe that explains it but still five out of 12 people are are fascinated to know how many times she adjusts her glasses
0: i i mean i could have gone to spectaclemovers.com
1: but that's uh don't don't i don't want to talk about my side hustle here
0: in the podcast <laughs> if you don't
1: mind um uh great i have a domain name to register <laughs> <laughs> uh, so i think we should just wrap it up there for the episode uh it's, it's running running long if you want to keep up to date with what we're doing, you can always follow us on social media, on Facebook, Terran Andrew versus The Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. Uh, we on Instagram. Is it just Terran Andrew versus?
0: Yep, Taryn Andrew versus.
1: And um, if you feel so inclined to send us an email, you, you can do that at uh, Taryn Andrew uh, at gmail.com and visit our website, terranandrewversus.com. dot com. Drop us a line if you feel like it. Just let us know somebody's out there. Yeah. Anybody?
0: Anybody. So we'd like to take the opportunity to thank Boat, who is a fantastic band out of Seattle, uh, for allowing us to use their song lately off the album Setting the Paces. They are the best. Uh, You should check out their current album that's out called Tread Lightly. Thank you, Boat. Thank you, Boat. Uh, We would also like to encourage you to support your local video stores. Uh, Seattle has Scarecrow, and they're doing uh, pickup Movies now, so you can put in your rental and just go do a contactless pickup and still get to see your your awesome cool movies. So even if you can't do that, they are glad to accept any donations you have. So if you have any bucks laying around, I know this is a really fucking weird shitty time for everybody, and money is not necessarily just flowing freely all over the place. So um,
1: if you're able to, if you're
0: able to, and so inclined, yeah.
1: consider consider it yeah um so yeah i guess that's it for this episode and until next time catch catch you later potato 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 hags. hags